This edition of the Northern Miner Podcast is sponsored by Mine Expo International, the world's largest mining trade show. See thousands of new products and services at the Las Vegas Convention Center from September 28th to 30th. Registration is now open, so visit MineExpo.com to register. You don't want to miss this opportunity. Hello and welcome to episode number 182 of the Northern Miner Podcast. My name is Adrian Pocabelli. I am your online editor. I am your host. And I also help out with social media and I also now help out with the newspaper. So take a look at it. We're very proud of this. We have a new edition. And if you want to see it, you simply go to northernminer.com. And in the menu, you will find a tab called News, and under News, you'll find Digital Edition, and you can see our digital edition of our print newspaper, which has gone to newsstands now, has gone to subscribers, and we are very proud of it. So take a look. Uh, I have also tweeted it on our Instagram page. So there you have it, Barrick's 10-year plan. You have miners debate M&A as COVID-19 sends shares lower. You have PDAC and the coronavirus. And you also have this Canadian company that they're saying they have a device that can lower diesel engine emissions. So this is just the kind of stuff that we love to see coming out of Canada. And also in the energy metals special that's included, you also learn about what Alberta lithium startups are up to. Sounds like they have a new way of separating the lithium from the brine, and that's based out of a University of Alberta technology. So that issue is jam-packed with goodness. So take a look at it. That is on northernmeyer.com, and just click on News and Digital Edition, and you'll be able to see what's going on. And also... While you guys are adjusting to our new normal of being not quite sheltering in in place, but close, uh, feel free to check out TNM Leaders. Don't forget about that. That's sort of what you might call an evergreen resource of content. It's evergreen content, as they call it. And yeah, I mean, if, if you've determined that you want to pursue geology and you want to move up the ladder, or if you already are... 20 years into your career and up the ladder, you might just be curious to hear what your colleagues have to say. So TNM Leaders has basically a one-of-a-kind resource for mining executive leadership where they really open up. And so that is available on northernminer.com slash TNM Leaders. So that is all happening. We have a robbery uh, that is going on. It sounds like a Humphrey Bogart movie. Luckily, no one's hurt, so we can actually kind of you know, it's insured, nobody is injured, but yeah, a plane flew in, the armed robbers came in, they scared everyone to death, probably, and then a plane came in, and they flew away. So we're going to get into that story, that's going to lead our news items, so stick around for that. There's also gold has really uh, not quite taken a life of its own, but gold has really shown some strength here. And this is interesting, right? Because if we go back in time with this coronavirus and how it affected the market, 
Basically, gold held steady for the first week or two as the market cratered. But then as the market continued to fall lower, then you saw a sell-off in gold, which was largely attributed as people selling what they could sell. In a sense, people say when the market goes down, you don't sell what you want to sell, you sell what you can sell. And so sometimes those are some of your best things that you don't want to sell. And people were saying in order to achieve liquidity, say these people who are trading on margin, some people were selling their gold, which is why you saw it go down. And now we've seen this big bounce back up. So very interesting development, kind of reminiscent of what we saw in 2008 now, but in a very compressed period of time. And now the market has had its best week since 1974. And that's only because it lost a bit of momentum at the end of Friday. In the middle of Friday, it was the best week that the stock market had had since something like 1933 or something. So that was quite a week in the market last week. And yesterday kind of held steady. I mean, maybe it lost a little bit. I think the NASDAQ closed higher. So the market is showing a lot of strength. You get the sense that there is optimism. I think people are adjusting to this, what we might call, what I'm calling this new normal. I think uh, when things get bad and you basically can't leave the house, there's nowhere really to go but up unless something really terrible happens. But when things get really bad and even the stock market, people are freaked out about earnings season, but I think the stock market, I think people have already priced in that earnings are going to be terrible. So I think that's a huge debate because a lot of the commentary coming out is once earnings come out, the stock market is going to retest its lows and, and that very well may happen. But I think everybody is pretty, I think the surprise is left for the upside. The surprise will be, oh, their earnings only went down 15% when we they, we thought they would go down 40%. So that I, my little uh, sentiment sort of feeling is this is primed to uh, upset on the upside again. And let's see. Uh, who knows? I may eat my words a week from now. So let's see. Uh, so lots to get to and we'll tackle metal prices and what's going on there. Silver is always a little slow to follow gold, and that's what we're seeing again as well. So that's all coming up. And also coming up this episode, our feature guest is Eric Buckland, who is Senior Client Manager of Global Mining Recruitment at Lincoln Strategic International. And I thought this was just the timeliest thing. He sort of popped up in my email there, and I thought this would be a great guy to interview. So we did it yesterday. And it was very insightful uh, just to hear what's going on in the job market for the mining industry. Here we have a top recruiter. He's been in the business for 20 years, Eric Buckland. So that is coming up. It should be, I, I thought it was quite interesting. I mean, with so many people losing their jobs, sounds like the mining industry is holding steady. And so we're going to take a look at that later in the show. If you want to find us online, you can visit us at northernminer.com. Find us on Twitter at Northern Miner. You can find us on Instagram at The Northern Miner. Find us on Facebook, LinkedIn, 
and YouTube, where we now host this podcast. And you can also find us wherever podcasts are available. And now on to the news. And here we are. Alamo Gold confirms robbery at Mulatos Mine in Mexico. So this happened on April 8th, and the story was posted yesterday on April 13th. And basically, it was revealed by management. Uh, here we have management at Alamo Gold's headquarters in Toronto have confirmed that the company's wholly owned Mulatos Gold Mine in Mexico was robbed last week. A group of five heavily armed robbers made off with an undisclosed amount of gold in a small aircraft that landed on an airstrip owned by the company near the Heapleach Mine in Sonora State. So an airstrip owned by the company. So this wasn't, I mean, clearly this was premeditated. Now, I think the first question, putting on my Sherlock Holmes hat here, is inside job or not? Uh, right now, considering they use the airstrip, all things considered, one would think somebody is on the inside, but who knows? Uh, Rebecca Thompson, the company's vice president of business affairs, told the Northern Miner by email, quote, we are fully insured on the stolen Doré, so we are not expecting any financial impact, closed quote. She also says that the company is currently working with the local authorities, you know, being an insurance company these days must be a very busy job with everything going on. A subsidiary of Alamos Gold, Minas de Oro Nacional, issued a statement in Spanish about the robbery, which was picked up by Reuters news agency and then translated into English. When asked for details, Alamos Gold provided an English translation, which explained that the robbery occurred shortly before 8 a.m. on April 8th, when the group of robbers stole the bar of gold and silver alloy from security personnel at the mine who were carrying the metal to their plane. At approximately the same time, a, a light plane, apparently a Cessna 206 type, landed and was immediately loaded with the gold, the company's subsidiary said. Robbery lasted less than 10 minutes. There were no injuries in the incident. The Mulatos mine, which had produced 2 million ounces of gold up to March 2019, has generated about $420 million in free cash flow since commercial production began in April 2006. In 2019, Mulatos produced 142,000 ounces of gold at total cash costs of $784 per ounce gold and all-in sustaining costs of $868 per ounce. So quite the gold mine robbery in Mexico... So we'll wait to hear more on that. One would think with the scarcity of funds, like the whole economy, and that's not just like the regular economy, the whole black market economy has also been turned upside down by this whole social distance situation. As they say, nature is indifferent. And so criminal or otherwise, all activity is being upended here. So hopefully this is not the beginning of a trend. In a sense, it's not a shocking development, though, is it? It's surprising, but it's not shocking. So that is Alamos Gold. And then we have this crazy space story. Uh, Russia is not impressed because Trump is encouraging citizens to mine the moon and other celestial bodies with commercial purposes. Russia's space agency Roscosmos has condemned the order and... They use pretty tough language. The government body likened the policy to colonialism and said it, quote, hardly sets the countries to fruitful cooperation. There have already been examples in history 
When one country decided to start seizing territories in its interest, everyone remembers what came of it. Roscosmos Deputy General Director for International Cooperation, Sergei Savaliev, said in a statement. It's pretty tough. Trump's order classifies outer space as a, quote, legally and physically unique domain of human activity instead of a global commons, paving the way for mining the moon without any sort of international treaty. Quote, Americans should have the right to engage in commercial exploration, recovery, and use of resources in outer space, the document states, noting that the U.S. had never signed a 1979 agreement known as the Moon Treaty. This agreement stipulates that any activities in space should conform to international law. This is not the first time the U.S. addresses space mining by issuing a law. In 2015, the U.S. Congress passed a bill explicitly allowing companies and citizens to mine, sell, and own any space material. The piece of legislation included a very important clause stating that it did not grant, quote, sovereignty or sovereign or exclusive rights or jurisdiction over or the ownership of any celestial body. You see how important this is all becoming. Don't forget from a few episodes ago, I think it was two or three episodes ago, we talked about that space presentation at PDAC and how really the government and some of the people in the space community and some people in the mining community all thinks that they should be working together. And of course, this makes sense. I mean, if you're a geologist, you study the Earth, and that is a planetary science, as far as I understand. So it's one of the themes I want to touch on. I'm looking for the space stories for you guys, because I think it is a pretty interesting situation. Uh, Let's just read a couple more details here. The section ratified the Outer Space Treaty signed in 1966 by the U.S., Russia, and a number of other countries, which states that nations can't own territory in space. So it sounds like the needle that's being thread here is you can mine in space, but you can't own it. Yeah, so read the whole story on thenorthernminer.com. You can hear about NASA's plans for the moon. They want to create a base camp in the South Pole. And more, and China's activity, and India's activity, and Elon Musk, and more. So there's a ton there. Check it out, northernminer.com. Russia slams Trump's order to mine the moon. And turning back to the markets a little bit, now this was a really interesting story because one of the big debates is whether companies will keep their dividends. And that's really a company-by-company decision. And we have a story here that Rio Tinto is maintaining their dividend, and they're also disclosing their taxes, which is interesting. They're really putting an effort, from my point of view, to really improve their public image. It seems like every couple of weeks we're talking about some initiative that Rio Tinto is doing. Now, I mean, the criticism is, well, lowering your emissions to zero by 2050 is too little too late, and maybe that's a fair point, but they are definitely on offense on this whole ESG side of things, which is why they're disclosing their taxes as well. Let's look at the dividend. Rio Tinto chairman Simon Thompson told shareholders the company will proceed with a dividend payment announced in February of $2.31 per share, or $3.7 billion, and that the payment will be made on April 16th, according to Reuters. And Reuters also quoted him, we took this decision because Rio Tinto has a strong balance sheet, our operations are running safely, and our order book for iron ore is full. And it sounds like they're going to review the dividend in July uh, because of the coronavirus pandemic. Only sounds reasonable. And then there's some, they also paid $7.6 billion in taxes and royalties globally last year, including $4.8 billion of corporate tax. Most of these taxes were paid in Australia, $6.2 billion. 
and other countries. Chile got $311 million, Mongolia $305 million, Canada only $2.91 million, United States $178 million, the UK $117 million, and South Africa $80 million. Not sure what Canada is doing wrong there. They're $3 million. Everybody else is getting hundreds of millions here. And finally, in their press release, Rio Tinto said that they were the first company a decade ago to voluntarily disclose its payments to governments in detail and noted that over that period, it had paid more than $70 billion in taxes and royalties to countries around the world, including $52 billion that were paid in Australia. And finally, a story by Frick Ells just on the gold price. And Frick is pointing out how gold is at its highest levels since 2012. Yeah, it's at mining.com. He runs that operation over there. And the gold price rallied again on Thursday as investors sought a store of value after the Fed said it was pumping an additional $2.3 trillion in the U.S. economy to stave off depression. On the COMEX market in New York, gold for delivery in June, the most active contract jumped to its highest price since November 2012 at $1,730 US per ounce, up just over $50 per ounce or 3% compared to Wednesday's close. He also notes that Goldman Sachs said there are inflationary concerns with all the central bank policy responses to the pandemic, which Goldman Sachs says could send gold to $1,800 per ounce as the currency of last resort. Then we have a quote from Goldman Sachs. We believe physical inflationary concerns with the dollar starting near an all-time high will for once dominate financial asset inflation. That was a feature of the past decade. Bloomberg reports that the gap between New York futures and spot prices in London for physical bullion has widened to roughly $40 U.S., a sign of lingering concern over future supply and difficulty of shipping bars around the world amid the pandemic. We have a quote from Peter Thomas, senior vice president at Chicago-based broker Zaner Group. Quote, people are paying the premiums over in the physical market, and I think it's rolling into the futures. It's safe haven buying. People are scared. Yeah, so just wanted to point that out. So gold is at its highest level since 2012. And with that, let's turn to metal prices. metal prices. We'd like to thank our friends once again at infomine.com for providing us with these numbers. And if you ever want to find them for yourself, just do a search in Google for infomine and metal prices, and this page will appear. And on April 14th, gold is trading at $1,719.23 per ounce, and that is $69 higher than last week's quote. Silver is trading at $15.54 per ounce, and that is 36 cents higher than last week. So you see gold had much bigger of a jump than silver did, but that is typical. Platinum is trading at $759.50 per ounce. That is $16 higher than last week. And palladium 
Always interesting, Palladium is trading at $2,241.42 per ounce, and that is $76 higher than last week's quote. And turning to our industrial metals, on April 10th, copper is trading at $2.25 per pound. That is $0.04 cents higher than last week. Aluminum is a penny down at $0.65 cents per pound. And lead is a penny higher at $0.76 cents per pound. Nickel is $0.12 cents higher at $5.20 per pound. Tin is $0.32 cents higher at $6.88 per pound. And cobalt is unchanged at $13.38 per pound. And finally, zinc is a penny higher at $0.85 cents per pound. And those are your metal prices. And coming up, we have Eric Buckland, who is the Senior Client Manager for Global Mining Recruitment at Lincoln Strategic International. And he gives us the lay of the land on the job market for mining. So if you are entering it or you are have been in it for a long time or you're just curious about what's going on in the mining world as far as the economy and employment, this is your interview. So I hope you enjoy it. He was a very nice, uh, friendly guy. We look forward to bringing him back and we'll see you on the other side. So joining us now is Eric Buckland, who is Senior Client Manager, Global Mining Recruitment at Lincoln Strategic International. And Eric, uh, why don't you just tell us about yourself, first of all, and uh, how you came to be involved in mining recruitment related to the mining industry? Sure. Well, Adrian, thanks for having me on your show today. Uh, big supporter of the Northern Miner and the podcast. I've been in mining recruitment now 20 plus years. Uh, I grew up in Sudbury, a big northern town in regards to mining, historical production, still in production today, big central hub for mining. So I grew up there. My father was uh, head of human resources for Falconbridge Nickel, which eventually got sold and became a, a, a valet company. In my teen years, he moved to Toronto as a family and eventually started in the mining recruitment business. And I followed in his footsteps, worked for his company for a long time, and then uh, worked also for uh, internal recruitments for companies uh, in South Africa. I was stationed there for a while doing uh, recruitment in, in Africa and for their global mines. And then uh, branched out and joined uh, Lincoln Strategic, where I'm now the senior client manager for global mining recruitment and lead their practice. So as someone who is in mining recruitment, uh, how have you uh, noticed business change since this whole uh, coronavirus situation? When did you first start to notice your business change? I'm assuming you did notice your business change. So tell me about that. That's a good question, Adrian. I think that the the challenge in our business is that it does change so rapidly, so quickly, good becomes up, up becomes bad massively. I've seen the, you know, when we all had big projects going on at $4 billion, four of them going on at the same time, and then nothing. And then all of a sudden we're back and boom. So I'm, I'm used to that boom and bust cycle just being in this business as long as I have. What I saw this change though, come on, probably the fastest in terms of things being shut down. But I've also seen a great light in the fact that we are 
an essential industry. So uh, companies have kept the lights on, have kept, some have kept in production, many have. Offers are still going out to, to people, especially on the health and safety side. And clients, our clients are still hiring. It does continue. And I think that the other thing that we think about as the other industries get shut down and mining remains one of the few industries that is open and producing, if funds need to make money or go into business or have a return on their investment, there isn't a lot of choice anymore. So if we can keep this keep this up and keep our employees uh, and, our, and our workers safe in the industry, which I think some a lot of companies are doing, keeping the the social distancing in a, in a production in a producing facility, we could weather the storm better than others. Yeah, it's interesting. I, I was thinking I was talking about the idea of mining as an essential service, and I, th- I was kind of surprised to be honest. I, but I guess with that, like I guess my first question is. What are your thoughts about it being an essential service? And the second part, uh, and I assume it is in Canada, you can tell me. And the second part is, you, you mentioned health and safety. So are your hiring practices changed in a sense? Your job has it's kind of probably been adapting somewhat to circumstance. And now you're probably more focused on basically helping people prepare or hire the right people so that they can stay operating in a safe way. That's there's a two part question there. I think if I understand right, yes. So um, our clients are still hiring uh, people, uh, not only to keep the the production up, keep the numbers up that they they need to produce, and they're hiring. And add to that the dynamics of having to do that. So the dynamics that you need more health and safety people on site that can control the safety the the social distancing you need more space just even to have a meeting you need more protocols in place it's not just putting on your hard hat and your you know your your safety glasses anymore it's how do you get you know guys down in a cage uh for a shift when they're used to being close together you all need them down there but you can't have them also how do you how do you adjust the shifts how do you have you know some people work from home some people work from the mine site and keep that all in communication going. So it's it's uh, interesting times, but there are companies that are adapting and doing well. And do they just come straight to you and say, help solve my problem? Or do they know already going in when they talk to you that we need a health and safety inspector for uh, underground mine and who knows how to work elevators, shafts or whatever? Do they know what they're looking for when they come talk to you? Well, the nice thing is we have the ability to be two sides of that coin. One type of client knows exactly what they're looking for and what that person's going to do. And this is the exact job description uh, and performance matrix that they need for that person. So they'll come to us and say, okay, who do you have or who do you know that can do this specific job? Other clients, uh, we act more of a consulting role for them where they have an idea of what they want the person to do at the end, but they don't exactly know how that person should be titled, where they fit in the organization. They just know what problem they want solved. And then we can work with the client to to develop um, a, a matrix and, and help them develop a person and, a, and a, a profile of that person that will help solve their problem. And for you, was there a learning curve to helping people kind of address this new way of doing business. One of the interesting things about this being an essential service is mining 
and all other essential services, maybe give us a window of how the economy will open up again for people if there's no vaccine or cure. Yeah. So was there a learning curve for you in terms of dealing with this situation? Or is it more or less you guys have the protocol of mine and safety and you basically apply your current protocol? There was a learning curve for how quickly this came on. I mean, we're used to, as I mentioned earlier, we're used to pivoting and having the change, but how quickly this came on and who it affected. Uh, I think the companies that, that did well were the ones that took this perhaps more seriously than they, than they needed to early on. And that proved to be their saving grace and the fact that they implemented things that we were, well, later on, we'll, we'll get to that. We'll get to social distancing and, and do that, but we'll... We'll, we'll kind of keep it as business as usual. So if those were early in the game, they did well. If you're, you were late in the game, uh, you may have already had to shut down your mind for, for health issues. So you're saying if, if, say, if someone got sick at the mine and then all of a sudden you have a whole other kind of issue, is that what you're saying? That's right. That's right. And there were concerns uh, for, you know, if you were bringing people into a remote location, how the people would be treated if somebody did get sick. If all of a sudden you have 10 people that are sick at your mine site and you're in a remote site, that's problematic. If you, sure. people are going out to the community and one person gets sick and now the community is sick, but the mine site's okay, well, the mine site could infect people because they're, they're flying in there, which has also been a challenge in terms of flying people around is how do we, uh, you know, if you've got a whole expat workforce, how do you even get them there? So Yeah, so it must be a case-by-case case basis a little bit, it, I suppose. It's a, it's a challenging times, but but uh, some have adapted and, and uh, some have hunkered down and just done the basics. But, you know, mining still needs to go on. We still need mining. We still need farming. We still need the, the essential industries. So it's uh, nice that we're part of that groundswell of industry that helps keep the, the lights on and the hospitals running and the, the basic essentials that people need. And so as far as the health and safety personnel that you that sound like they're in larger demand, are you running short on people then at this point? Is it hard to get the right people? It's always been hard to get the right people into mining. Um, there has never been a huge surplus of mining expertise. We've noticed this. I've noticed this in the last 18 years. There's never been a surplus. So this has made it exasperated that situation. Uh, further. Yes, we're able to pull certain people from other industries. For example, very difficult to find lead maintenance managers, those type of people uh, from other industries. Yes, we can pull them from the big trucking industry, or we can pull people perhaps out of uh, construction. Uh, if it's open pit mining, you can pull operators out of, out of those industries. The challenges for mining, though, if you pull people out of those industries, they quickly want to go back to the industry that they come from because they know it and they like it and perhaps it's mm. closer to home. The sad thing about our, our mining industries is that a lot of times it's remote locations and that takes a certain type of individual that enjoys that that adventure and that's not for everybody. So we're seeing a shortage still of good talent. So I certainly welcome uh, leadership then and also on the executive side when we work with um, you know, I'm looking for a, a executive a leader for uh, tailings right now. It's a very mm, yeah, specific, very specialized, eh? very specialized. There's only you know about ten people across Canada that can do that, yeah. and it's it has to do with 
you know, Canadian law, very specific experience. So they've all still got projects going on. Those projects can't be abandoned and shut down because your tailings is a critical point uh, that can't be just, you can't just shut it down. Now, do you necessarily need, uh, like the people that you're looking for, like there's probably a lot of people who are losing their jobs out there. Is everybody you're looking for basically a very specialized sort of person? It, it sounds like they're not all in the mining industry from what you're saying. So I'm just wondering, let's say there's someone out there listening that maybe just lost their job. Is there, is, is that a possibility that there's the kind of thing that you would know about? Are there opportunities out there for basically non-mining people? It sounded like there were from what you were saying, but I was just curious to hear what you have to say about that. Well, Adrian, that's, uh, I think of the industry that we're in, mining industry does take a specific skill. Are there people in other industries that could transfer over to mining? Yes. But it would depend on their, their industry. For example, we have a, a big challenge in finding uh, maintenance leadership. So yes, that could that could transfer over. But Sorry, what is maintenance leadership? Uh, maintenance leadership. So uh, a maintenance manager, uh, senior uh, senior senior roles in maintenance. Think of like um, your big trucks when they need right a maintenance. Yeah, yeah, sure. Yeah, Got it. yeah. Yeah. So think of think it's of like mechanics, that type of skill, but more of the leadership side of that, because we don't right, do, right. I, I don't have that much experience in the um, lower level roles. We're more, I've always been focused on management and above somebody that has mm-hmm. a portfolio where they have to lead people. That's right. where, where we've always been specialized. Okay. And on that point, are you seeing many moves in the executive front? I would imagine it would just be kind of quiet on the executive front, but uh, you know, stuff like people who are experts in health, you know, those are the kind of people you'd want. But are are you seeing a lot of movement in the executive side of things? Not that much on the executive side. I think the executive side is hunkered down and going to be, they've always run pretty lean on the executive side in a mining company. Not too much fat can be trimmed. So uh, they've pretty much kept to their jobs and done well. I haven't seen a huge influx of, of executive resumes, which is interesting in the fact that if we are in such a downturn, I mean, we're going, you know, there's, there's talk of 20% unemployment in the U.S. I am not flooded with executive resumes. So I'm not flooded with resumes overall. So it's nice to see our industry still doing what it can, keeping its people not only safe, but also keeping us in production. Yeah, so it's resilient uh, from the sounds of it, you know, the industry. <laughs> yes. Resilient is a good word. We, we've seen some tough times and some great times. And uh, yeah, so, so tough times is kind of what we're used to. So we're pretty, resi- pretty resilient people overall. Yeah, I think that's <laughs> fair. Yeah. Canadians as well are resilient people. A lot of people are resilient out there. Um, so Especially in, what in mining. Are... If I ever yes. said to you, you know, I, I'd like you to go and build a mine in the middle of nowhere, be away from your family, and uh, you know, you might, uh, you know, you're not going to have all those creature comforts that you get used to, and you get excited about that. Uh, your yeah, resilience is is uh, yeah. come come to mining. <laughs> yeah, maybe we could add fortitude to that one as well. <laughs> That's true. Um, is, is there anything else you're seeing? What are you finding interesting as you sort of work your job these days? I mean, I think things have sort of settled into a bit of a new normal here, but uh, are you observing anything of interest that catches your eye or makes makes you think? I think that sometimes it's interesting to see how is the COVID-19 
lockdown? Are some countries taking advantage of that a little too far in the fact that they want more concessions from the mining industry? They want more, perhaps more revenue from the industry that is actually still producing. And so they can say, well, you have to have this restriction and that restriction and this restriction. And so how uh, they, is it is the guise of more restrictions or more licensing required, or maybe we'll see if you can keep the lights on and run. Is it done for the best interest of production, or is it done in sort of a, a means that says, okay, we would like more money because you're our only source of revenue yeah. in order for us to have that permit? So sometimes things are, I'm seeing, it's a little upsetting when you can see things done perhaps in a, in a clandestine kind of way, perhaps in some countries rather than really what's in the best interest of an essential industry. Now, are you basically, say, suggesting, this is something I've sort of noticed and speculated on, is this idea that maybe some of these countries are putting their financial, basically business over health? And is that basically the general tenor of what you're saying? Or are you saying something yeah. else? Yeah, I can. I, I would uh, echo that sentiment, Adrian, is that uh, sometimes I think the, the commerce can be put before health not by the mining sites. The mining sites want to keep in production. They want to keep their people safe. They want to keep their people returning. But it's, uh, there sometimes can be a lot of regulation that says, well, we're going to come and police you, even though you're already policing yourself and you're doing a good job doing that and you've always kept your people safe. You can have a bit of a, a cash grab, perhaps, because... Right. And then we're going to charge you for that? Is, is that what you're saying? Yeah. For this policing and this extra... Make sure everything's okay. Yeah. Right. Right. Because you're yeah. the only thing to police because there's nothing, no other industry going on. Yeah. So and there's this that... lack of money, lack of funds all around, and especially in some of these more sort of more EM countries. Yeah. As I can imagine. That was the impression I got, frankly. Now, what do you think about Canada then, though? Like, are you basically saying in Canada it's okay because it's not coming, there's no shakedown attached to keeping it open as a mine, no. right? Is yeah. that. So it's okay here as long as basic protocols are being followed. I think it's a debatable point, frankly, because I don't see a huge difference between an office and a mine site in terms of proximity to people. Like, I assume there's a mining camp, and I assume you go into this. Like, you can probably keep a little more distance, but I don't see a huge difference. But I don't know. You're more of an expert than I am. What do you think of that? Well, I think at a, at a mining camp, the, 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 the challenge you have is the social part of the distancing. We can do that in, 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 a, in a larger city or in, a, you know, in an office tower. Okay, I, I, you know, my office is over here and I'm, I just stop going out for lunch with the people that I'm used to going out for lunch with and, and, and I can do that a little easier. But when you're at a remote mine site and you've worked your 12-hour shift and you want to go to the mess hall and have something to eat with the guys that you work with and just have that downtime because you don't have all the other things that you're used to if you live in the city. You know, you don't, you're, you're, fam- you're away from your family. And so trying to still keep people having a sense of, of community and working together and, and being a team, yet telling them they have to be apart from each other. Yeah, uh, and there's no is, bar afterwards for you guys that, to yeah, unwind the, at or whatever it, the case may be. Yeah, missing the social part of social is part of being a team, and that's uh, that's a new dynamic that is a challenge for some some mind sites. So, if people want to, are, are you open for business? Basically, if people want to send you their resume, who are I don't know executive mining people or 
you're Abs- involved in mining and you're, so you're trying to look Absolutely. for something. Absolutely. Absolutely. Great. Open for business. The nice thing is uh, Lincoln Strategic has always, we've always worked remotely. Uh, so we're very used to social distancing, uh, used to doing uh, our work remotely. So uh, nothing has changed for us. And we're still mining specialist recruiters and have been since day one and happy to be in the industry, happy to support people, even happy to take calls from people that you know, are just concerned about what might their future be, uh, where where they're at, and, and if they have concerns about their current company or sort of a state of the industry, or, and I've said this to others, even if they have an offer and it's not from us, if they want to second eyes on it, just what they might want to think about in an offer for a new job, happy to give my opinion of that. That sounds invaluable. And probably even just to see what's out there. Uh, so if people want to contact you, how do they do it? Best through our website. Uh, they can they can reach me through the website or on my LinkedIn. They can connect through me through there. And, uh, and I'm usually what available. What is the website? com. Okay, lincolnstrategic.com. And as far is there an email or should they just find your uh, LinkedIn? Then we can link on. to that on the page here. But uh... yeah, LinkedIn is probably the uh, a good way to reach me. In addition to my uh, my contact information is on LinkedIn or also okay. on my on my website also. Okay, excellent. And okay, well, thank you, Eric. That was very informative. I feel like it's a very topical thing and kind of uh, it's a great to be able to get you on the show with so much craziness in the economy going on. It's kind of mining recruiter who, and it's fascinating what you're saying in a sense, there hasn't been much movement in this industry from the looks of it and business is kind of keeping relatively stable. Well, I, I listened to uh, uh, the gentleman from Freeport McMoran CEO speak uh, the other day and he was predicting $20,000 gold. So oh, we well. might have a lot yeah. more movement in our industry if, uh, <laughs> if that happens. But that happens. You know what? probably I'm, right. I, I, I'm not going to laugh at these that say that's way out there at this point. Uh, the economy is a very unique economy at this time. But glad to be part of the industry that is essential in keeping the lights on for everybody and giving everybody the phone and the ability to communicate. Okay, great. Well, thanks, Eric. And yeah, I agree. Six months ago, it's a little more crackpotish to say $20,000 gold. Today, maybe not so much. And I guess we'll see. Stay healthy in this environment and uh, come back on the show again. Thank you, Adrian. Take care. The mining world continues with Eric Buckland, our veteran global mining recruiter. It's very fun to approach this industry from so many different angles, and I want to continue that. And so I hope you enjoyed the show. Uh, Feel free to share it with your friends. Leave us a review in the Apple Podcast directory. It's worth its weight in gold. Until next week, stay healthy and take care.